to another episode of the Elise Yeezy show. I'm your host Elise Yeezy and today I'm joined by Millie Gooch and Kieran. <laughs> Hello everyone, how are you today Millie? I'm very good thank you, how are you? Very good, thank you, alright? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, thanks, thanks for checking in. Just checking in, just yeah, making sure that you're alright. As usual. So you're my guest today. How would you describe yourself for our audience members who are unaware? Oh, so I am, God, this is an interesting question. Uh, an author mm-hmm. um, and a founder of Sober Girl Society, which is the largest community for sober and sober curious women uh, online. So that is, yeah, that's what I go with, I think. I don't think Amazing. I've ever been asked to describe myself. <laughs> you, People normally do the intro for me yeah, and I'm you, like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, you on this show, I'm just like, right, you've got to do the work you go, yourself. You and I'm just going to sit back. You must nail those like, group morning. icebreakers yeah, yeah. that you have to do, you know, where they're like, describe yourself in oh, three yeah, words. No, I've oh, no, <laughs> you'd Give be brilliant. Give me the elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah. Describe yourself in one sentence or less, like a Tinder yeah. bio. Yeah. Oh, no. That's what I felt like I was on a date there. Like, what am I? Actually, more importantly, are you a slow walker or a fast walker? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm a fast walker. Thank yes. God. Same. I've got this new theory. But this is why I'm stressed out this morning. The slow walkers at King's Cross. <laughs> oh, okay. How do they even get outside? Slowing you down even more. Yeah. I think it should, instead of the Maya Briggs thing, slow walker, fast yeah. walker. Yeah. In right. your Tinder bio. Okay, put that in, fine. So I just can swipe left immediately okay. if you're going to put slow walker there. <laughs> yeah. I'm actively prejudiced against... <sighs> have to say like if there's a reason you're a slow walker if you're just a slow walker just because yeah. you go outside you just decide to be slow yeah. that day i'm prejudiced against that okay. but i'd like to dive into yeah. the sober girl society what you it. do can we go straight back to the beginning yes we can so when did you realize that alcohol was becoming an issue so if we go back kind of even further like when yeah. i was younger i didn't really drink a lot so i did a lot of competitive dancing i used to spend my weekends like training so alcohol wasn't really like a thing in my life a lot of my friends did the whole you know like 14 drunk at a park white lightning cider and i just kind of missed that completely and then i um i'm an august birthday so i'm like the youngest in the year i turned 18 um and then literally three weeks later went to university so i had never really drunk up until that point and then when i went to university it wasn't even like a question in my mind of like oh am I going to start drinking it was just like I'm going to university I will start drinking I think the culture is so like it's not even a question that is what you'll do I remember like the freshers pack when I got there had like a shot glass and there was like bar calls so everything was revolved around alcohol um and I got several jobs I got one in like a vodka revolution I got one in a shop bar I was like dancing on tables I very much changed the way I was (laughs) dancing at that point um and then I sort of just got really indoctrinated into this kind of like student boozy culture so I went from pretty much a nothing drinker to someone who was drinking like three four five nights a week and also my drinking was just you know go hard or go home so it was very binge drinking and I always say I never had that in between stage of like learning my limits like you know even a couple of drinks at a family party I just went from nothing to like proper binge drinking and no one kind of saw that there was anything wrong with it because I was completely surrounded by other people doing exactly the same but it kind of got to about third year where all my friends kind of started slowing down started taking their studies seriously and I was like actually all I want to do is drink and I think one thing I realized that when I went to uni I'd come from this like small town where you know everyone knew everyone and I didn't really have to meet other people and everyone was kind of on my wavelength and then I remember I went to uni and like everyone was really cool and they'd like been traveling and we're talking about their stories and their gap years in Thailand and 
I didn't feel like I had much in common with these people because that wasn't really like my life. Mm. And I used alcohol really as a way to connect to people and to just, you know, be more confident in myself because I felt like such a small fish in a big pond when I went to uni. And I kind of realised quickly that alcohol made me really confident, you know, didn't really care what people thought. I was a bit of like a loud mouth party girl. And also it kind of tied in at the same time. Geordie Shaw was massive at yeah. the time. It <laughs> I was used to this watch like, that too. Yeah. 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 And it was kind of that like, you know, mortal mentality of like going out, just mm. like being really raucous, like unashamed and I loved that and I loved being this like proper party girl who didn't really care what people thought. So then that kind of continued. Um, and then it got to, I left university and I started working in PR and then I started working in journalism and the media industry is very booze heavy. I worked for a lot of companies that also looked after like booze brands. And this is kind of like when my drinking kicked up a notch. So I would, you know, go out on a Tuesday night, drink so heavily that I would you know, fall asleep on the train, end up in like Dover uh, and then have to get like 200 pound taxis because Uber wasn't really big then, like back home. And just like I'd embarrass myself at work parties. I would always take it too far. I always wanted to be the last one on the dance floor. Mm. I always wanted the night to keep going. I was always like chasing something. And then kind of like my early mid twenties, I realized it was really taking a toll on my mental health. So I would really suffer from blackouts. I think I'm quite sure I was drinking at a very high speed. And so I would have nights where I would just not remember kind of like large portions, hours sometimes would just go missing. I wouldn't remember how I'd got home. I'd wake up in places and be like, how did I get here? So then I kind of would suffer from this really awful hangover anxiety, beer fear, what did I do, what did I say? Mm. Felt so like I'd been putting myself in really dangerous, vulnerable situations. But at that point, I, I was in my like, early 20s and I didn't even think oh actually I could stop drinking because I was like everyone does it everyone goes out you know the girls on Geordie Shore they go out and they don't care about it the next morning I'll just keep going and it kind of kept getting worse and worse until I got to a point where I was just really depressed really anxious all the time and I would kind of go out on the weekend completely like binge drink wake up like Monday feel you know slightly better by Wednesday Thursday and then just go I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go out and get pissed again and I was just in this cycle of drinking being hungover feeling really ashamed about it and then just doing it all over and over again and then I always say it was like kind of fate I um, was on the tube to work one morning deathly hungover um, and I read this article in Stylist magazine from a woman called Catherine Gray all about her new book that was love coming her. out. She, my <laughs> idol, I love her. Um, and she and I read this kind of article and I thought, God, wow, I really relate to that. And then I kind of like boxed it up, didn't think about it. Went out on a night out, just got horrendously drunk. I remember there was tequila. I remember I was in the smoking area and like that's about it. Um, and then woke up next morning and said, I just can't keep doing this. I can't mm. live like this anymore. I'm so miserable. I'm like wasting my life drinking. So I, I downloaded the, the book on, on Audible and it just changed the way I thought about drinking completely. And that day I was like, I'm never drinking again. And my friends thought it was hilarious because, you know, I'd said that 4,012 <laughs> times. Yep. Um, and that day something within me just like kind of knew that I had to change something. And that is kind of where the story began really was the book the unexpected joy of being so it was yes yeah, I read that I think I picked that up two weeks into my sobriety yeah. and that carried me through yeah. my early sobriety yeah. it is so amazing it's and incredible. I would like recommend that book to anyone that's 100%. you know interested in being sober yeah I used to think amazing. when people said that like a book changed their life I'd be like oh you're so dramatic Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I read it I said like, it's changed my life <laughs> oh yeah like, right. and you know on that I was just thinking earlier about how 
all of the writing I've read from sober people about being sober, it tends to be like the most raw, real writing I've yeah. ever read in my life. Like they really don't hold back. No. And I think it's so important, especially in early sobriety, to feel like so seen in yeah. your emotions. And it's very validating to like read someone else's experiences about it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think it just like it felt like a topic that I couldn't really talk about with my friends either because mm. they just didn't seem to like feel the way I felt on a hangover. Like I would be mm. ringing everyone like, what did I say? Was I embarrassing? Like, are you, are you pissed off with me? Like mm. all this stuff. And they'd be like, you were fine. Like, it's okay. Like we're fine. No one kind of felt the way that I did about drinking. And when I'd say, oh, I, I couldn't remember this. They're like, really? You couldn't remember that? And it was mm. only like, after I started learning things about like blackouts, actually not everyone suffers with blackouts. Some people remember the entirety of their night. Whereas mm. I was like, I literally don't remember what happened from like 10 p.m. to like 2 a.m. And yeah. people were like, how? So they just didn't get it. And all of a sudden I was reading this book of someone and I was like, oh my God, she gets it. Like yeah. she gets it. And I think that was just revolutionary for me. Mm. You know, it's actually funny because I was living with a friend of mine and she was going through a breakup. And so she was in her room reading The Unexpected Joy yeah. of Being Single. And I was in my room reading The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. And then afterwards we swapped. Yeah. <laughs> Both amazing like, books. Yeah. Such good books. Hitting all of the niches yeah. that you need. You know? yeah. I find it very interesting that you mentioned that you weren't one for the young teenage years drinking. Because mm. I thought like drinking in a park, drinking cider when you're 14 mm. was ubiquitous with young British, British culture. Yeah. culture. Yeah. No, genuinely, because that's what it was like in my town. There's mm. nothing really yeah. else to do, you know? So I find it quite interesting. So how how did that feel then to go from not drinking to drinking like three to five times a week at university? Yeah. Sure, that must've been quite a big shock to the system. It was, but I think I'd always kind of like prepared myself for it because mm. I just accepted mm. that that was part of uni culture and it wasn't that I was like against drinking when I was younger and all my friends used to drink they all did the like 14 drunk at the park but for me it just it wasn't a thing but I kind of always knew it was coming it was just like I'd kind of delayed it and you know even in those like three weeks before I went to uni I kind of I think started preparing my liver for it like I, I'd finally <laughs> turned 18 I could go to pubs and I remember like when I first um, turned 18, it was the day I got my A-level results. So we all went to the pub and I had a picture of Blue Lagoon in a weather spoon. <laughs> so like, that was my like first legal alcoholic drink was this like picture of Blue um, at like 10 a.m. So it wasn't like... Used to love that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best, that purple rain. And, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> and I did... So it wasn't like a thing that I was like against or didn't want to do. I just hadn't really kind of like got round to it at that mm. point. I always kind of knew it was coming. I always knew it was part of British culture and that eventually I would get there I think I'd just been like too busy doing other things mm. and now as part of um sober girl society mm. you have this like sober student society yeah. is that why it was so important for you to target that demographic of students just because of your own experiences yeah 100 percent. Mm. so I first started kind of working with universities through club soda um so they said to me do you want to come down and run pop-up alcohol-free bars in the halls of residence and I was like yes I do mm. and actually I was I was really shocked at how attitudes have already changed this was probably mm. like two or three years ago now and already people were like slightly more open to it I remember I was like serving it was like a Budweiser like alcohol-free and this guy came over to me looked like a typical you know like football lad mm. and said oh is that alcohol free and I just got really defensive and I was like yeah it is and, hot. <laughs> and he was like oh that's great because I don't drink and I was like oh okay yeah, sorry <laughs> and I just assumed like, what are you gonna thing. do about yeah, it buddy yeah, <laughs> 
so I like, I, and, and I kind of was shocked at myself because I was like, oh, wow, like actually that's my own ingrained attitude yeah. that like, you know, uni students, that's what it is. Um, and then I kind of started wanting to work with other people. So I did a lot of like shout outs on um, like, you know, are you starting a, a sober society at your university? I just started like gathering people together. It's not like an official thing or anything, mm-hmm. but loads started popping up and I started noticing that. And then some people come to me and say like, I want to start this at my university and I don't know how to. So I would like link them in with the other people who had already started their things. So we've like kind of helped people do that really. So it's not like an official thing that, that we do, but I always like try and link people in together and say, well, this this society has done it at the East mm-hmm. University. This is how they run it. And then like, if they want helps with like drinks brands and getting things sponsored, then I'll like send them contacts for that and stuff. So, but for me, that was so important because I, I always say without university, I don't, I think I would have always gone to drinking because I think it's just so ingrained in British culture, but yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. if I would have gone to the excess that I did from going from university, mm-hmm. I think. I do feel like that, is a bit of a shift in mm. people being more mindful of their habs- habits and their substance use. But like you said, like the normalization of it is so huge and we're so socialized to think that like drinking is a normal part of social interaction yeah. that it's just still really difficult to break, you know? Yeah, oh, 100%. I think it's the biggest barrier, I always say, I think for people stopping drinking is actually like other people mm. and like yeah. peer pressure and totally. what they will think of it and and how they're going to socialize with other people when you actually take you know take all that off the cards and you're like could you just stop drinking like if you didn't socialize mm. people were like yeah I probably could like for so many people it is that like bonding elixir and unfortunately that has come really down from the way alcohol has been portrayed whether that's you know alcohol advertising media portrayals we just have this like solid idea and I think especially for women as well that like that's how you well women and men but very differently I think Mm. that's how you like you bond with with your with your female friends I think men have kind of like this different like pub lad culture but I think in in terms of us you know like rosé over dinner that's like how we're taught that we socialize and bottomless brunch especially with this like rosé all day culture now so I think it is like it is the biggest thing for people that they don't think that they could socialize without alcohol Mm. I was just trying not to laugh because I got a flashback then of having like um, dinner with one of my friends and we were drinking a bottle of wine. She was yeah. a fashion designer. It was very like glam and nice and we had a nice evening and then yeah. we went out with a certain someone who's not listening yeah. and um, <laughs> did loads of gear and toasting. Oh no. And it always, for me, it was always like that. Are you the type of person where, I think I know the answer already, yeah. um, one drink, it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's yeah. always just the next one, the you? next yeah. one. It didn't appeal to me. If someone said, oh, let's just have one drink at dinner and then go home, I'd actually say, I'd rather have nothing. Like, I'd rather have a water. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily the alcohol. It was that I was going to get absolutely blackout drunk from the alcohol. So for me, it was all about getting drunk. It wasn't, yeah. oh, I really like this wine. It was, I really like being absolutely blackout drunk and, like, mm. not feeling my feelings or not overthinking or all those things that kind of, like, came with it for me. So I think, yeah, I'm a, I'm a one or not, well, zero or all, basically. And did you ever find in your early 20s when you were recognizing that something was going on because, Mm. like you said, your friends didn't get the effects from hangovers as much or whatever. Did you ever, was there anyone that you could talk to about it or did you ever get the response of, oh, well, you're 23, you Mm. don't have a problem, you're too young to have a problem? Because I feel like that happened to me a lot. Yeah, definitely. I think when I spoke to kind of my friends about it, they were like, oh, you know, it's like normal. And I kind of, again, like 
things like Geordie Shaw were like my model of, you know, but they would wake up, they'd all be deathly hungover. They'd just get on with their day and that's kind of like what I felt. And especially the industry I worked in, like a lot of people were hungover. So it was really normalised. So I didn't, didn't even feel like I had a problem. Like I knew internally that I wasn't enjoying it, but I, I couldn't kind of put my finger on that I had this problem. And also I think we have this idea of what a drinking problem looks like. It's very stereotypical problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You you know, you're over 50, you're like waking up, putting vodka on your cereal and you're sleeping on park benches. Yeah. So I was like, well, that's not me. So, and, and that is, I think a problem with our drinking culture is, you know, people say mm -hmm. to me, you're not that bad. Okay, I'll keep drinking. And then when I am that bad, are you going to recognize it? Like mm -hmm. at what point do you stop? I always use the analogy, you know, like if a, if a house was on fire and you go, no, oh, it's only a little fire. We'll leave it. Like, <laughs> it's fine. And then the next thing you know the whole house is burnt down like at what point do you intervene well really as soon as you recognize the problem as soon as you see that there's a fire that's when you should kind of go right let's do something about that because otherwise it's only going to get worse mm. but because we have this idea of like well, we'll leave it until the entire house is burnt down until you've you know got a DUI and until you've like lost your job we don't deal with drinking problems mm. so I think it wasn't that I didn't want to speak to anyone about it it was that I didn't necessarily even feel like it was a problem I just yeah. knew that I wasn't enjoying it and it was affecting me, but it wasn't a problem. I mean, for me, I was sitting in the house on fire yeah. and my close <laughs> friends were saying, um, Kieran, your house is on fire. Yeah. And I was going, no, the house isn't on fire, guys. Just like, like, stove on, it's I'm right. just keeping warm, like, get off my back, will you? If I want to sit in a burning house, yeah. just let me. Yeah. But it's interesting because I feel like we really do have this image of an alcoholic yeah. or someone with a drinking problem. Mm. And like, because we're obviously all young. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm 21, what are you saying? Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I do feel like it's harder to recognize from other people, but also from yourself, yeah. because that kind of aids in your denial because you're like, well, you know, I'm not, I don't look like the image yeah. of an alcoholic. Yeah. But I mean, when I was in my very early sobriety, I was struggling quite a bit. So I decided to go to AA. And I couldn't find the place. It was an absolute mystery. I was like walking around for ages. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to miss this AA meeting. I was like, maybe I should just go home and have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw like two like middle-aged blokes with like coffee cups. I was like, this must be the place. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. But I was right. Yeah. But once I got inside, it really was people from all different mm. backgrounds, yeah. all different ethnicities, gender, you know, and yeah it was like amazing to see yeah. and i don't know if either of you have any experience with aa mm. but there can be quite heavy like religious themes yeah. mm -hmm. so i went i sat down and i was like reading off the board these like 10 commandments or whatever, <laughs> or whatever they have you know what i mean 10 steps whatever and it was quite like religious and I think the guy sat next to me saw that I had like one foot out the door. Yeah. I was thinking like, this one's obviously just not for me. Like I'll find something yeah. else that's, you know, for me. And he was like, hey, and he introduced himself to me. And I was like, I think I'm just gonna go. Like, this is too religious. Yeah, like yeah. I really don't vibe with this. And he was just like, you know, it's really not about that. Instead of like thinking about what's different, why not just sit and listen and yeah. hear what's the same? So I took that advice and it's some of the best advice I've ever gotten. Yeah because I stayed and it was like a really good experience and I felt very validated. And yeah, it's just, I feel like it's so important, especially in early sobriety, to see and be around and talk to other people who are also sober. Yeah, 100%. I, so again, I had this idea when I first stopped that 
AA, I had this idea that it would be, you know, all 50-year-old men mm-hmm. with coffee carts. And I kind of thought, they're going to laugh me out. If I go in there and <laughs> yeah. say, actually, I can go a couple of weeks without drinking, but when mm-hmm. I do drink, I end up blackout in a place that I don't want to be, not remembering mm-hmm. my night and with the too. worst ex- existential mm-hmm. crisis. Yeah. So I didn't go. Now I have a lot of knowledge about it. I've got friends that have been through the program. I know so many people whose lives it saved, people who mm-hmm. swear by it. It's free, which is incredible. So I would never, ever bash AA mm. just because I didn't do it. Yeah. But that was because of my own ideas that what I had. And then mm. kind of when I started to meet people who also didn't drink or people who had been through AA, I was already kind of like seven, eight months sober at that point. So I was like, actually, I don't think I need it because I'm in a much better place now. It's not to say I wouldn't recommend it. It's always one of the first things I say to people if they want to go. And like you said, there's a, like a mix of people. There's... Mm women's only groups there's lgbt groups there's everything that you could want it's not this thing but i think even the word alcoholic i think is a thing that puts people off and Mm. i think that that kind of language is also changing as well so in medical literature they don't really use alcoholic they use alcohol use disorder um because again it's this idea of like you're either an alcoholic or you're not there's Mm -hmm. no in between and because some people don't identify as an alcoholic they won't accept help for their drinking they won't go to things like aa Mm because they don't want to stand up in a room and say i am an alcoholic so that i think is important thing that we start changing as well that actually understanding there's a whole gray area in between of drinking problems you're not this one thing and actually this this kind of idea really benefits people like the alcohol industry because it's this idea that you know you you can keep drinking like a normal drinker because you're not an alcoholic so that's fine and it's also this idea that like people are born as one and there is this like genetic component Mm. to addiction but i always kind of think like if you woke up on a desert island and there was no alcohol and you didn't know would you be an alcoholic it, it, it's like this kind of real i'll find a way yeah yeah i'll find <laughs> a way but to me it's like a, a symptom of a much greater problem of what people are using alcohol for mm-hmm. is like for me it was mental health so i kind of used it to dispel anxiety and depression and things like that um so it's a really complicated conversation but i think changing the language around that i think is really important that it's not like an us or them and and mm. also that anyone could become alcohol dependent it's mm. not like you're an alcoholic so you will become or you're not one so you you will or like you could keep drinking and you'll never become one because the reality is that you could so mm. i think changing the language around that is important as well for some people the label is really empowering but for a lot of people it also keeps them drinking and keeps them stuck because they don't want to identify with that label because there's still a lot of shame and stigma around it mm. yeah it's a difficult one isn't it because i remember when i was i want to say 22 or 23 i went quote unquote sober for almost yeah. two years by which I mean I wouldn't drink alcohol because I recognized okay this is a problem it's going too far but I'd still do a bunch of drugs I'd yeah. still do like cocaine <laughs> as much as I could or MDMA yeah. and rotted my brain that way instead and I'd find when I'd talk to older people I want to say which gender but a particular gender if I'd talk to older people oh no I don't drink no yeah. thank you there'd be a lot of oh but do you have a problem were you drinking every day you're too young to have a problem yeah. like mm-hmm. kind of damaging like sabotaging language ultimately it didn't impair my quote-unquote sobriety <laughs> i chose to start drinking again because i rotted my brain from like yeah. the, the mdma <laughs> usage and stuff and i couldn't i developed disassociation disorder i couldn't deal with that yeah. so i started drinking again because then i kind of felt like things were real when i was drunk yeah it's yeah it's interesting the way the language is because sometimes I felt like mm, I, I don't mind the label 
addict and I will say to people, mm. oh yeah, I had an addiction problem, like I'm an addict, it's, it's the dopamine receptors yeah. in my brain, there's something going on there. Sometimes I felt like I'd almost have to fight for that label from people because they would be dismissive and disbelieving, like, oh, but you're yeah. so young, how do you have a problem? Well, I don't know, it's my brain. I didn't de- I didn't wake yeah. up one day and decide to. Mm. It's just, yeah, it's just interesting to hear all sides of that because I don't mind the term yeah. addict yeah. and I didn't know it had changed to alcohol mm. usage yeah dependent. i have read this yeah. yeah even the word addict again if that is empowering to you then absolutely use it i think another thing that people are kind of saying is by using that like kind of one label rather than saying like i suffered from addiction mm. saying you're an addict kind of will give this that's your whole personality and that's who you are yeah. and i think then people don't see you as anything other than that you know we we dismiss people and we say oh they're, they're a drug addict like that's not who they are they're a human being at the core of it they've just suffered with addiction but uh, so that language can sometimes impact negatively as well because we mm. can be very dismissive of people again because of the stigma so we'll just say oh they're an alcoholic or they're a, they're a drug addict so and we don't help people because we don't see them as human we don't humanize them we just see them as this addict and this like idea of what we have so I think that's another problem with the labels as well but again it's hard because you can't say to people don't use this because if yeah. that's empowering mm. to them then you should absolutely use that and you should be able to fight for that label so I think it's just a kind of wider conversation of changing the stigma around it in sort of like proper conversations, mm. I want to say, air yeah. quotes, I will usually say alcohol use yeah. disorder because I have read that, you know, it's more applicable for everyone and da da da, like you said. Yeah. Um, but maybe this is a toxic trait of mine. My favorite party <laughs> trick yeah. is if someone says to me like, oh, why don't you drink? Because people are so nosy yeah. about it. Yeah. I will just be like as deadpan as possible and be like, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. And I will just kill the vibe in yeah. the room and I do not care. Because it's like, why are you inquiring yeah. into my... No, I know. love that though, because after a while it does get really... It's annoying, yeah. I, I found it? it, yeah, I yeah. found it really annoying when I was in my early 20s. Mm. Now I don't mind, I just yeah. don't broach the... So sometimes I'd snap a bit. Like it's the same with it's the same <laughs> yeah. with being vegan. I think because I yeah. did have someone say, "So why did you choose to go vegan?" And oh, I was like, annoying. "I was like because I just give a shit about things that aren't me." Yeah, it's as simple as that, really. Yeah, you know, I do like that toxic trait of yours. Yeah, yeah thank but you. I think that's all about changing the culture, really, because that shouldn't mm. be the only reason that gets people to stop mm. asking those questions. Oh, totally, yeah. It shouldn't be that that is the only thing that you can say. It's either I'm pregnant or an al- I'm an alcoholic, and they are the two only socially mm. acceptable reasons only why. An option unfortunately yeah <laughs> try the other one yeah, see how it goes see down how go, yeah. <laughs> but that that the culture should be that someone should just say i'm not drinking and the response should be i'm okay if i said to you why aren't you smoking it's mm. obvious why you're not smoking because we all know it's not good for us you don't need yeah. a reason like oh i'm pregnant or you know i'm totally. like that's that's the thing that needs to change is the culture mm. so that you don't have to come back with that reply you could just say i'm not drinking and that's cool that's the end of conversation yeah so you touched a little bit on the gender differences mm. in how people drink and sort of like the societal image of like men drinking and women drinking. Um, obviously, we know like it's very important for women to have female only spaces mm. for their safety, their comfort. Did you ever consider making Sober Girl Society open for everyone or sort of what was the decision that, yeah. that led up to that? At the time, I just thought, so for me personally, I'd had a lot of negative experiences with drinking too much, um, kind of like sexual experiences. Mm. And like you said, I wanted a really safe place. And the more women I spoke to, the more people who had similar things so I wanted to create a space where they could feel really safe to talk about these kind of things to talk about the 
the kind of adverse experiences that they had because of drinking. So that was like number one reason why it was like a sober girl society. I also thought that there was a lot I couldn't relate to in kind of like really lad heavy sports culture of drinking. And I thought, you know, that's not my experience. I don't want to speak for that group. So that was kind of like another mm. another reason why it was sober girl society. Now I kind of wish I'd called it like sober she's gays and they society. Because <laughs> I'd love like, I feel like that would have been much better. And like, you know, my friend Scott. I don't know if that's quite the same it range. It doesn't, does it? Like I wish it was just something that I could like add on on the end. Yeah. Um, but I always say that everyone is welcome if they do want to come. Um, I think you're reaching everyone yeah, as well. We try and team up with like, so my friend Scott who runs Proud and Sober, so that's an LGBT community. We'll do events with them. So we can say that, you know, actually we're opening this up to more people. I don't want it to be like, if you're not a girl, you can't come because I, I believe mm. that everyone is worthy of help. And, you know, if, if men message me, I'm not going to be like, sorry, I only did with girls. <laughs> like, I can't help <laughs> yeah. um, But I just think that there are a lot of differences, especially in those kind of, like, extreme ends of the, like, gender spectrum of, like, real mm. lad-heavy, you know, like, drinking mentality I think there are slightly different ideas there's also this kind of like stereotypical idea that a lot of women drink for emotional reasons so mm-hmm. like stress heartbreak whereas men it is a lot more about the kind of like bonding and the image and the like lad culture and not being seen as a pussy so there's mm-hmm. like there's kind of different ideas with it although I think that has kind of like crossed a little bit over the last few years especially with like women's drinking I think it's got more where you could say to your friend you'll be in a pussy whereas I think like mm there are those kind of like ends of the spectrum. So that that was really the reason why it was Sober Girl. Yeah. It's funny actually, because I came out as non-binary like a few months into my sobriety. Probably another thing I was repressing with my alcohol use, like gender identity (laughs) issues. Um, And I feel like I didn't really fit in either of those categories. I was like in my own pocket of like drinking a bottle of vodka a day. So maybe that's what like non-binary people with alcohol use disorder (laughs) do. We just sit in our rooms drinking like a litre of vodka. Can you start saving non-binary society? Because I I feel like there's a need for it. That would be great. That would be so good. You can start a partnership. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll discuss this afterwards. Awesome. (laughs) When you were working in PR and journalism, Mm. were you working in London? Yes. Do you find that there's something in the water, well, besides all the traces of cocaine, there's yeah. something <laughs> wrong with London? Because in my hometown, <laughs> there's, there's something wrong with <laughs> There is, there's cocaine the in, like, in the parliament toilets. Like, yeah. it's all over yeah. the place. Yeah. Don't drink the Thames water. You should see one of my oldest videos on my channel. It's George Osborne clearly off his head. <laughs> Remember oh, him, George old Gideon? Oh, funny. Um, do you find that there's just something like next level about London and because my hometown we definitely had a drink and drug culture definitely had a going mm. to the pub culture it was more in the countryside but then come to London it was I'd never done I'd done coke twice before going to London then my first two weeks I think I'd done it about five times yeah mm. you know did you find that so as, easy to what are you laughing about <laughs> It was, oh, it was it was mad ones, mate. It was yeah. mad ones. It was before I knew you. It was... Yeah, I I think London in particular. I think there's a few reasons. Like you probably could really track it to some different reasons. I think like so where I actually live in Kent. Mm. When I would be at home, there would be times that I'd be like more inclined to drive or things like that. Whereas like. In London, everything's so accessible by public mm. transport. You never even have to consider that. You can get as off your face as you want and you can know that you can get home safely, really. There's always, an There's always a way to get back. So I think that that's one thing. I just think, especially because, you know, it is like a centre hub for, like, 
people who work in finance and people who've got a lot yeah. of money I think there's a lot to do with that I think because we have this idea that actually drug problems are like for kind of like lower economy people but it's not like actually when you look at cocaine use it, it's kind of like the, oh, yeah, the more money the, you've got the more likely rich you people. are I've got yeah. some stories about that so I think that that things like that help well not help but I think that, that's <laughs> one of the reasons as well is because there's so much money floating around as well I think I think it's just so in the culture I think as well if I was at my hometown, I wouldn't necessarily do it because I'm like, oh, I could bump into so-and-so who I know or bump into so-and-so. Here, you're like, you could go on a night out and not see anyone mm. that you know. Mm. So you're like, well, yeah, I can take more risks like that. I, just, I think there's probably so many elements that go into it that make it this, like, melting pot for drink and drug use, really. Mm. On the point, actually, of, um, you know, the money and... Yeah. Uh, like people in parliament and stuff. Obviously there's a bit of like a class difference yeah. in how people can recover from alcohol use yeah. disorder. Um, like having access to more resources, access to rehab, stuff like that. Was that something that you thought about when you created like such an accessible resource as Sober Girl Society is? Yeah, 100%. I wanted like the majority of it to be free and available to everyone. Mm. So all the content, all the blogs, all the tips, everything is free. The only thing that we have is our events, which people mm. will pay to come to. Um, but we often do like mental health spaces. And if people can't afford and they want to come, like we're always open to say, look, you can come for free. Not Now everyone's going to be like, can I come for free? <laughs> but obviously we know that people are in different situations. So if that's really important, yeah. like we're always happy to accommodate that. Um, but I wanted to offer a platform that literally people could access. And there's so many like kind of tips and even like podcasts and things like that that I do that I know that people can access and also like an ambassador for alcohol change and do loads with them as well because mm. I know how important that is. But, but you're right, not everyone has the same access. And I think, again, this is part of the problem of like, we're really happy to push people to drink until they get to a certain point and then we kind of want to dismiss them we'll be mm. like no you're not worthy of help anymore it's like this culture of like you've all got a drink but then when someone you know loses their job and then they end up on the streets we're like oh they're just a homeless like person you got yourself with a, here. yeah with mm. an addiction yeah. like you're weak-minded or whatever the thing is mm. we're so dismissive of those people but we've encouraged that and we're so mm. part of the problem but we're not recognizing that because it's so in our culture that that's why so many people end up in the positions that they do but then when they get to a certain point we're like no you did this to yourself mm. like it's so dismissive so I think it is important that there are so many like free options available out there but I mean the one thing I always say is so society is not a recovery program so mm. it, a lot of people do it alongside AA we yeah. are just a community peer-led support so we mm -hmm. the only bit we really take from AA is the idea of meeting like-minded people because I think that for me was the biggest game changer as soon as I found people like you said who yeah. got it whether that was reading it in a book or meeting people, that helped me so much. Like, mm. Even though my friends were really supportive, they didn't get it. I had no one to so, kind of say, actually, how do you go out on a night out and do it sober? Like, oh, all of a sudden, have you got all these feelings? And if so, how do you deal with them? Yeah. So like that for me was the most important thing. So it's, it's community at its core. So mm. at any point you can connect with other people on the platform, whether you want to come to like virtual things, whether you want to join in the pen pals game, like all of it's free that you can meet other people. So that's mm. what is really important. It's like a decade of repressed emotions yeah. coming up. Oh my God, that's so much therapy. <laughs> you when can I see like the tidal wave coming. You're yeah. like, oh no. Yeah, but I like, I know you kind of mentioned it. I really struggled with dissociation when I, I stopped 
drinking, like depersonalization, because all of a sudden I had all these really intense feelings yeah. that before mm-hmm. I just kind of like squashed down by drinking. I'd just mm. go out and drink. And all of a sudden I was just like, I don't even know how to deal with my own feelings. So I then had to go to like really intense therapy, like did mm. CBT and like had to learn how to like relax and unwind and all yeah. those other things that didn't have alcohol. Like that was such a big problem that I didn't even think was going to happen from getting sober. Mm. I was like, I'll get sober. My life will be fantastic. All my problems will be solved. And then I was like, I've got feelings. And yeah. I don't know what to do with them. It's so. a super learning process, yeah. like how to deal with them. Yeah. And I feel like no one gets it unless you've been through yeah. it of like, no guys, you don't get it. Like I'm feeling yeah. emotions. Yeah. Like, these things called emotions, I'm actually feeling yeah. them. It, are you guys <laughs> yeah. feeling these all the time? Because this shit is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I had that exact moment one time, I think six months into, because I've been sober for almost three years, six months into the real deal. Yeah. No drink, no drugs, none of that. About six or so months. And I was just sitting there watching probably made in Chelsea probably <laughs> and an advert came on and it was a Macmillan cancer advert and there was a, there was a young child in it yeah. and when I tell you I cried all night and the next day I was like holy shit what just, ha- what just yeah. happened what is this yeah. Yeah. and I had to learn how to deal with that because I always thought I just thought no I'm a bit robotic and maybe yeah. even a little bit sociopathic yeah. which is what co- like heavy cocaine usage does to you over time it makes you uh, detached from your emotions and not have empathy for others you know yeah. so I would have moments where I'm like no I'm just a bit sociopathic everyone should grow the fuck up and then six months into sobriety I was like Jesus Christ yeah. <laughs> now yeah. things really affect me and totally. yeah. I don't know but I have like um I think not a pride issue but some sort of like oh I don't want to have feelings yeah it's <laughs> some sort of like no I've got to be tough and but like yeah, weird yeah. almost mm. almost I want to say like masculine trait of mine so mm. it took me ages to be like no it's okay to yeah. feel like this yeah, yeah. it's like, really healthy doesn't make you less hard the masculine urge <laughs> yeah. to not have feelings yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. that's weird in itself yeah. i'd like to touch on something that i read in your book the yeah. sober girl society handbook mm. and this because i read this a while ago but it's like ingrained <laughs> it like burned into me because i was like oh because i think i felt the way you did and it's about the sort of promotion of alcohol within the media within yeah. TV shows and you said in the book that Kristen Davis one of the girls from Sex and the City actually doesn't drink because she has an alcohol dependent issue so she's been sober since she was about like 26 or so and how it almost felt like a bit of a betrayal because she's a main character on Sex and the City and they're always drinking cocktails Mm. like having cosmopolitans whatever what and I read that and I was like, oh my God, because I like Sex and the City too. And I was surprised by that as well. And then when you just noticed how much alcohol is in all of the TV shows, like How I Met Your Mother, the sort of, um, their central perk is they're at that bar or whatever. Um, What other shows? New Girl. I watched New Girl and they're drinking all Mm. the time. It's everything. What's that about? Why is everyone always drinking on TV? Yeah. And it it does feel like a con when you really think about it because they're not actually drinking. But our brains just can't tell the difference. We absorb these messages. And like I fully did with Sex and the City. I was like, cool, if I want to be like this cool, sassy, you know, writer living Mm. in like the city, I've got a drink with my girlfriends. And that's how I'm going to be cool and sexy and elegant and... And all these things that we just take on and fully believe. And then when you look at it, like I always say in the book, all the champagne is actually ginger ale Mm -hmm. and all the cosmopolitans are actually um, cranberry juice. So it's like they're not even drinking like the real stuff. And and yeah, Kristen Davis, who plays Charlotte, she never drank throughout the entirety of it. Mm -hmm. But you just fully believe these messages. And it's, it's with so many of these kind of 
you know, films like Bridesmaids and all these other ones that have like drinking, like the, what's the film about how to be single? Mm. It all revolves around alcohol. But really, these are like mega successful A-list people, a lot of whom don't drink and probably also won't be able to have the careers that they do if they were drinking at the level that they are in these films. So mm. it's it's really interesting, I think, how much we absorb. But I think a lot of this has come down from like alcohol advertising through the yeah. alcohol industry because they thought, right, we need to sell a product. So how do we do it? And um, there's a really interesting quote. I think it's like, why don't the alcohol industry actually advertise using, you know, the people who are actually really consuming their product? Like, why is there not a picture of me drunk <laughs> coming out of Oceana at four in the morning, like the stumbling gutter. on the yeah. floor, puking? And it's like, well, because that's not what they want to sell. Yeah. They want to sell the glamour and the glitz mm. and... And that's kind of where it's all come from. But actually, what they kind of sell isn't really matching up with what we're all experiencing. Yeah. But we're still receiving so many of those messages. That that's how, that's what we're believing. So it's it's really difficult. Like, excuse me, I got blackout drunk <laughs> and my night was not as advertised. No, it was no. not a sexy fun time. Yeah. Like, I'm throwing up. Yeah, like I wasn't on a cruise drinking a martini. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's happened? Do you know what? It still does kind of get to me a little bit though. Yeah. In a weird so, way, because yeah. when I do have that little addiction voice in my brain, that's like, let's drink. It gives me images of yeah. like, you know, cool with a drink yeah. and, you know, so these social situations. And it's like, shut up. Yeah. Like, it's not that cool. Like, no, come on, calm it's down. It's not. Yeah. It's, this, it's the same with smoking. It's been so, like, the, the, the advertising, the marketing is so clever. The way that mm. they, you know, first put it into the hands of people that we would idolize and that we would look up to and that it would be like what is when you really go into it like what is it about smoking that is cold like nothing it's not cold but yeah. yet i still see a girl you know in paris with a cigarette and i'm like oh she's so cold. yeah in black and white. Like, what is not cold it's just that the images that we have been told to believe is that this is what is cold so it's the same yeah. with drinking and like i still get it with that thing and but when you really look at the reality of it it's like is it really cold no mm. it's not no uh, so you have the Wake Up Club yes. now as well, um, which that's all online, right? Yes. So how was it sort of like adapting to the pandemic and lockdowns and making sure that people can still like access resources throughout those yeah. circumstances? It was a really interesting time, actually. Like, I think the pandemic was a huge kind of like social experiment in drinking, really, and noticing mm. those kind of behaviours. So like at the start of the pandemic, especially like when we went into lockdown, I think so many people thought that it was going to be this like party. Everyone was like stockpiling alcohol. You like saw all the memes of like people mm. just shoveling into their trolleys. Mm. And actually, like the platform was really quiet for a while because mm. I think people were like, I can have gin at 4pm when I'm supposed <laughs> to be working. Yeah. So we were like quite quiet mm. at the start. And then I think everyone realized that actually it's not really sustainable to have like a 4 p.m. gin every mm. day. And I always say what I think is really interesting. Have you ever been in a club and you're like, you don't realize how drunk you are until you go to the toilet yeah. and then you're like, oh fuck, I'm really drunk. Yeah. I think people realised actually for the first time how alcohol was really affecting them because mm. they were at home, they were just sitting there, they weren't really doing anything. Every drink, you're so much more mindful of it because you've not got like loud music, you've not got people dancing, you're not chatting. So you're really aware of how alcohol is actually affecting you. So mm. it's like, oh, actually this is making me feel a bit sluggish. Actually, I feel a bit sad, I feel a bit this. And I think people really started to realise that. So by the second lockdown, everyone was like, I'm going sober, I'm not drinking. So we're like, oh my God, we need to put on all these like virtual events because people were like, for mm. the first time, like, changing their mm. relationship with alcohol and all of a sudden the platform was like flooded so like this time like last January I think we had like 10,000 new people come to the platform wow. like it was just crazy and I think 
yeah, I think the pandemic was really interesting in terms of people's like drinking habits. I think they kind of went like everyone started drinking loads and then actually everyone got really mindful. So I thought it was really important to like provide that space for people to connect. And again, it's just like a really informal thing. It's just like, come on, have a work, like have a like little chat with friends because I think so many like work things were revolving around like zoom drinks or I don't know about you I did a million quiz nights (laughs) I got tired after the the second one I was like you guys go ahead I'm not doing any more yeah and everyone was like super boozy on those so we just wanted to provide a space actually you could go connect with people on a zoom call and not have to get pissed so that was kind of the reason before like behind them and then and then people just started saying actually we really like them a lot of people we do a lot of events in kind of like big cities like London Manchester where that we know that people can get to but you've got a lot of people who live out quite rurally say like you know I don't I don't have a single sober friend it's like three hours for me to get to a meetup so we were like okay we're going to carry on running them interestingly we did one on New Year's Day and it was our busiest by far because people just wanted like start the day on like a good good space like dry mm. January and we had like full attendance we like sold out for that one so it's like yeah it's amazing that people still want to kind of like connect and carry on virtually yeah I think the way that you talk about sobriety and your experience is really positive which is kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you on because I think it's great and I think you have a similar mindset towards mm. sobriety as well does it ever I mean it is difficult but I <laughs> I approach things from like a really no, negative side. <laughs> I'm no, I'm really negative about it. But you know that I'm very negative about sobriety. Like every day I have a mood swing yeah, of yeah. oh what's the fucking boy in my just get really drunk, yeah. do loads of gear and enjoy those convos. <laughs> yeah. like, for me, for me in those moments, one of no, the only no, no. <laughs> one of the only things that genuinely really stops me, like genuinely, and I don't think this is a good thing so I don't know if I should say it, is vanity, mm. right? Because it didn't look great during yeah. that time. And I've done a lot of stuff to my face since then. I'm not going <laughs> to waste all this money. I was admiring your skin earlier. I was like, look at that skin. Mm. Oh, only concealer today. <laughs> only concealer. I'm doing this new thing. You right? nailed oh it. Looks great, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, how do you, when you do have those moments mm. of struggling, how do you retain the positivity yeah I'd like to learn some tips um, do you know what I think probably from an outsider you would think I'm really positive mm. um but I definitely have those moments as well I think it's just like um it's just a simple act of like weighing it up really mm. like and I don't want anyone to ever think I'm like oh my god surprise it's like all rainbows and butterflies it'll change your life and you're like but for me mm. it has only had more positives than it has had negatives and it's for me it's just a simple scale of looking back at my life four years ago and being like you know I was depressed I was anxious I wasn't doing a career I loved I wasn't getting outside I wasn't like connecting with my friends I had really bad relationships because I was just always drunk and then looking at what I have now which is much better in pretty much all of those aspects I've got more money I've got more time I'm more productive you know just all those things and just weighing it up and going, okay, well, clearly, like, that yeah. is the better one. Just being more rational about it is saying, like, that's obviously better than that. And it's not saying this is so amazing and this was so terrible. Because mm. obviously I did have good nights out because otherwise I wouldn't have kept drinking. Yeah. But it's just going, okay, well, the clear obvious choice is that this is better than this. And if I go back there, then I'm probably going to end up down there. So... It, for me, it's just being really super rational about, mm. okay, my life is is be- better now. Why would I want to go back to a life that's not? And also just knowing myself really well and knowing that actually, you know, if I did go back, yeah, the first couple of nights out, I probably could have one or two drinks. And then the next night out, I'd probably have one or two. And then the next one, I'd go, oh, I've nailed one or two. I can have three or four. Yeah. And then the next one, go in, oh, I had three or four. I can have five or six. Mm. And then three months later, you know, I've hit it's rock not worth bottom. The risk. And yeah, yeah. I kind of know that that would happen. So I'm not. I, 
I'm not under any illusion that actually I've like nailed this moderation thing. Mm. And I think there's a level of acceptance as well. I always say like, I think for some people like a one day at a time mentality is perfect. And I use one day at a time in terms of like mental health and not getting too ahead of myself and things like that. But for me, I've just kind of accepted now I will never drink again Mm. and solidly just say it. And for me, that acceptance is like, shut the door, put it in the box. That's gone now. I think when you're constantly thinking, oh, today I might drink or tomorrow I might not drink or do I have one at my wedding or am I going to break this in a year? You're still doing that mental gymnastics. and It's kind of like you've not accepted it and, even putting it with like in the realms of like having an ex-boyfriend I think you know if you go oh maybe I'll get back with them or maybe they've changed or maybe they've Mm. done that all the while you're still in that you're never really moving on so once you say no do you know what actually they were really bad for me and I'm going to find someone that's better than me I'm going to say goodbye now that's it I'm not going to text them I'm going to block their number move on that's how I kind of feel about alcohol it's like Mm. I'm done with it that's it it's not part of my life anymore I've moved on and I think that acceptance has been really helpful to not constantly have those like mental mind games but just you know like sometimes I will scream into a pillow sometimes I will (laughs) ring a friend and be like this is fucking shit like I think it's doing that and and having sober friends or people that get it I think is really important for that because they can fully talk you down like you said Mm -hmm. from a meltdown (laughs) that you have these conversations if I said this to my friend like actually I'm really not enjoying sobriety if they're a drinker they might be like oh actually go on yeah like have one it'd be really fun (laughs) so I always have those conversations with people who I know will be like come on remember what it was like so mm-hmm. I think that's a really important yeah. thing as well but you know everyone has bad days so I don't want to be like sobriety is perfect like I've got my dream life it's not the case at all I have to mm. do a lot of work especially on my mental health I'm still in therapy like all those things that yeah. come with it I think that it's important to be realistic but it's also just important to say my life is better now than it was yeah. and that's the positive bit is it's better than it was and that's what I want to go with so yeah, this is funny that you say that though because I do recognize that my life now is so much better and so yeah. much more positive but in my early sobriety I've kind of accepted it now yeah. but in my earlier sobriety I did have this really weird attitude where if something bad happened I would be like what like yeah. I quit drinking yeah. how dare you oh, what do you supposed to ever happen to me again like yeah. the like the universe is supposed to deliver me good things yeah. because I've you know conquered this yeah. huge thing so when you know my life didn't turn into perfect sunshine yeah. rainbows flowers I was like what the hell like yeah. I've been scammed yeah. so I think <laughs> that, that did make it a little bit more difficult yeah. to stay on the path but again like you said it's really just about weighing up yeah. the pros and cons it's like do I want to hang over tomorrow morning yeah. no I don't usually yeah. that's enough you know yeah. And that's so, like yeah. you said as well, I think it's not linear. There's sometimes where I'm like, oh, I love being sober. Like if I wake up, mm. it's a Sunday morning, you know, like I'm hangover free. I've got loads of energy. I make a little coffee, go for a little walk. I'm like, I love being sober. And then, you know, three weeks later, I'll be at a bottomless brunch with my friends. One of them will be like throwing up on the floor. And I'm like, why, why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's those like, oh, you know, I went through a really bad breakup like three months ago. And I, I think that was probably the closest of like having so many feelings that I was like, actually, I think alcohol could be the thing. Obviously, mm. I was like, no, you weigh it up. You're rational about it. Yeah. And you're like, what is that really going to solve? Am I going to feel worse? Am I only going to wake up tomorrow hungover? Like, it's it's just doing like a cost-benefit analysis, which sounds yeah. really callous, but you just have to kind of be rational in your mind about it. But it's not linear. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes it's not the best thing ever. But on the whole, you wait up. I used to use like a like a Strictly Come Dancing analogy of like when I was drinking, my times, I did used to have real highs, but I also had real lows. So I would either, my day would be like, I would give it a zero or I would give it like a seven or eight. Whereas now I'm Do like... you hold up the car? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> zero, seven. 
And whereas now, I'm like pretty much every day is around a five, six or seven. Like it's very stable, very comfortable. I do have highs and I do have lows, but generally every day is pretty stable. Whereas before it was either I was really up or mm. really down. And now I'm just content and coasting yeah. and enjoying life and things are nice. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes mm. they're a bit worse. But generally it's like a nice little smooth roller coaster as opposed to yeah. like stealth or the security yeah. is, is good yeah, yeah. yeah. you kind of know what you're dealing with yeah, exactly. on a day to day yeah mm. the consistency and mm-hmm. stability yeah that is true mm. yeah days it's boring, are boring but it's true yeah. well i listen to there's a neuroscientist called andrew huberman and i think he's i'm pretty sure he's sober but he had a scientist on neuroscientist another one to talk about addiction and he said that a lot of people who suffer with addiction or dependency issues um they're looking for a super normal experience because normal life is boring yeah. unfortunately you just kind of have to accept that normal life is mm. i was listening to it and i was like i know you're right but why does it have to be so bloody boring <laughs> but we've only got a few minutes left so i'd just like to know what are the plans for 2022 with sober girl society have you got any events coming up oh or? lots are they just for your other point i would say this is why i've taken up really extreme things like surfing or like going on oh, really? that's how i get my super normal mm. or like occasionally not paying for a 5p bag from tesco like just getting <laughs> that little like there's ways that i think that you can still get high that don't involve alcohol yeah. drugs that's what you have to yeah Shop i'm not gonna in. don't go to like kleptomania era <laughs> plans for 2022 more events i'd love to just meet more people like mm. i think it's so nice now that we can actually do in real like life events again so we're going to do like london manchester i want to try and get up north 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 um and also try and do some like scotland wales try and get all over the place that would be the dream is just to connect as many people as possible because i think so many people after these events are like i met a friend here and now we're going to go for brunch together and we're going to do all these fun things it's really like helped me in my sobriety so that's like number one thing I think and just to carry on like pumping out like the tips and the content and just getting the awareness out there trying to change the stigma around sobriety and make it a little bit cooler would be fun I think you're making it cooler <laughs> thank you <laughs> I'm actually not cooler I as feel cooler though. already yeah. <laughs> so hip and funky <laughs> yeah. are you joking you're dressed great oh thank fantastic. you fantastic I'm like underdressed I'm like no. <laughs> this is the same top I wear in every single video <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, so thank you for having you. me. It's Socials to promote. Um, Sober Girl Society yeah. on what you on? You're on Instagram. Instagram, I know this. yes. Um, on TikTok, I'm trying to figure out TikTok. It's mm, <laughs> same. <for> you. Yeah. <laughs> I've just joined TikTok. Follow there. my TikTok. Yeah. It's not about me. What else? And then we've got the website as well, which has got the blog. So there's loads of good content on there, like good roundups for like, alcohol free drinks. So if you're interested in joining like a sober student society, there's loads of good good blogs on there written by people in our community. So yeah, lots awesome. of lots of free stuff. Thank you so much for being Thank here. You you're for wonderful. Me. Oh, you're wonderful. And you. Millie's book, The Sober Girl Society, handbook full of fantastic information. <laughs> I read it last year. I was rereading it again recently. Very Thank good. You. So make sure that's you check kind. that out as well. I blush when people say nice things about And that's all from us, everyone. Stop <laughs> laughing at me. Thank you guys so much for watching. Remember to like, comment, subscribe, dislike, whatever. Follow us on Spotify, iTunes. I have a TikTok now. Follow me on TikTok for (laughs) nothing probably. Mm. Make sure to check out Millie. Thank you so much for coming down. Thank you so much for having me. Thank Thank you, Kieran, as well. Follow me on Instagram, guys. I've I've got nothing going on there, but feel free. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Well, three oh, minutes okay. to spare. Right, Excellent. should we go for a drink? Oh, yeah. <laughs> go to the pub. <laughs>